Hello, and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Father Giordano, our uh, regional director from Rome and Europe. So welcome, Father. Thank you, Colleen. It's great to have you. It's uh, great to be here. Not to have you, but to be here. (laughs) Well, it's great to talk to you again. So just so our listeners, I used to have Father Giordano as a teacher when I studied in Rome. So I've got a long history. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So, yes. Five years ago. Yeah, five years ago. It was a great time. It was great having you as a teacher, and it's great to work with you now. Yeah, likewise. (laughs) Yeah. So how did you first get involved in HLI? Through Monsieur Barrero, who was my predecessor okay. in the in the Rome office, and uh, as a seminarian, I was a seminarian in Rome, and I started going to his masses. It was around 2006, and then listening to his homilies, getting to, getting to know him, and then as a priest, uh, meeting with him regularly, actually using the li- going to the library, um, having having dinners with him. We had our actually we had a. We had a regular Sunday dinner very often. Um, whenever we had our dinners, weekly dinners, it would be on Sunday evening. And it was a, yeah, yeah. It was we just talk about everything. He was a man of great culture, and so uh, so it was a, a very attractive in sense for me. You know, I like studying and life of study. And so he was, yeah. And then, so can you just tell our listeners a little bit about the bioethics library? Because you mentioned the library, yeah, and I yeah. don't know how much our listeners so know. So the library itself is more than just the bioethics library, because okay. as I said, he's a man of culture, and he developed it. It's now 25 years old, and he, was, he along with Dr. Joseph Meany, established the library and office. And what Father Monsignor Ignacio Barrero Carambola wanted is he wanted a place that would be comfortable for anyone to just come in and sit around and study. And so in Rome, we have a lot of students uh, from different pontifical universities. And, And so usually works by word of mouth. I mean, we send out every year to the deans and directors that we're here, that we have these books. We have the bioethics books in English with the possibility to make copies, free photocopies and all. So we make a lot of services available. It's also located near the Vatican, right by the, the St. Peter's, right behind the cupola. I can see the cupola from my office. I remember going there once. Yes. There's a lot of books. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of books. It's all packed with books. And the, the 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 themes, you know, you have the bioethics, you have canon law, you have theology, you have moral theology, you have uh, liturgy, even liturgy, culture. There's a cultural society section as well. Um and what I find very interesting is that I have a lot of books that I use for my own teaching. So, um, I don't know. It's just really set up for for teaching and learning. And, and, and the other day you were saying yeah. something about how a lot of libraries in Europe, you can't just go in and access the books yourself. You That's have right. to talk to a librarian you have to talk to and the they li- have to go. So, ours is unique because... Because you can, you just-, can just go there on the shelf and look and find and... So you don't have to ask, you know, there's this theme, can you find, you know, no, they, they can go in there and you can just peruse through the library and see, like you can in America, actually. Yeah. And the books also, I repeat, a lot of them are in English and there's a lot of English speaking uh, students. Mm-hmm. I, over half of our students come from African countries. Interesting. 
Yeah. Another about a quarter from Asian countries. We also get a lot of Europeans and Americans, but but we do have half of our students from African countries, English speaking countries. So the fact that they're English speaking, their English text is important. Okay. A lot of English texts. And that's probably books that they don't necessarily have access to exactly. in other areas. Yeah. Like something unique. Right. And they don't have access to these books in English. True. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really I guess what are some of like the what do the students then use the books for for like the their do they write do they write books like use our books to they write, write books? Oh, yeah so they're, they're using it for papers for research they using it? papers okay books that are what are known as tizine licensed tizine mm -hmm. the when you get your license in theology sacred theology license usually it's two three year programs in moral theology or whatever the discipline mm -hmm. and uh, it takes yeah it takes they have to write a, a thesis a small thesis usually about. 50 to 80 page thesis for the for the uh, even 100 pages it depends on the university but so yeah so they use that and those theses are small books also for doctoral theses and also i've had colleagues of mine and and from other from my university where i teach uh, work on their books in our library and also recommend books because we keep the library keeps growing. Yeah, we keep buying books. The latest research. Also, our journals are very much up to date. Uh, like the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. Mm -hmm. A lot of journals that we have to order online. It's not just books, but journals. Like yeah. the latest. You probably meet a lot of students too that way from all over the world. That seems yes. like a great networking way to great get to way know people. To get to yeah. People. yeah. And then, so you run the bioethics library, and then you're also the regional regional director for all of Europe. So do you yeah. travel to other European countries? Do. What does that look like for you? I spend a lot of time traveling to other <laughs> European countries, yes. But I don't, right now I'm, I'm starting to get into that, you know, it's just like, uh, I have to do more, uh, more traveling. And then we've had the COVID and it's, that sort of has yeah, <laughs> impeded that. But we've had actually, because of COVID, we've actually had a lot of these online meetings. So it's mm -hmm. helped me get to know the other affiliates. That's yeah, that's a really great. I guess like in some ways COVID was annoying because it got in the way of those things, but it also meant that we had to kind of adapt our skills to yeah. be able to connect online, which makes things a little bit easier going forward. You don't always have to travel to talk to someone. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So what are you what are some of the biggest challenges facing um pro life work in Europe right now? What do you what do you see kind of in your region as mm -hmm. the biggest challenges that you have to overcome? Well, the biggest challenges are the laws. The laws are set, you know, as a, as actually as our Archbishop Pallia mentioned in August, he said that the in the abortion law in Italy, for example, is like he's used the expression uh, "pillar of the of the legal system," and they've created a lot of stir. He didn't mean to use that pilastro. He didn't mean to use it in that way. Uh, he was trying to say that it's really ingrained since the 70s. Why is this coming up? Because the Dobbs case obviously has, is, is having an effect on, on the law and people are the people that are for abortion, the abortionists, they're worried about how, what's going to happen. You know, once in the United States, the laws start changing, that positive law, legal, you know, the system starts changing here, it's going to start changing there. What I have found is that things are vary from country to country, obviously. In Europe, it's not, not like the United States. Well, the United States, things vary state to state. So you can imagine there, 
things vary country to country. So <clears throat> there's, for example, in France, there's there's a lot, there's a big culture war going on in France. Oh, interesting. Yeah, big culture war between uh, between secularists and and Christian and people that are, have faith. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so there's a lot of uh, a lot of manifestations. A lot of going to the streets is typically French to go and you know picket and get upset at it. But the laws don't change necessarily. Mm. But what's changing though is the culture. So there's people are people are you know the generations are the future generations that are people that are very aware of these issues. So there's changing for the good. So there's changing for the good and a cultural level on a cultural mm -hmm. level, just like what happened here yeah. in the sense, you know, you thought, you know, the pro-life March, what's the point? Well, the pro-life March became, became huge in America and it, it does, it did have an impact in creating a movement. So there is a movement in France. There is a movement in Hungary. There is a movement in other countries right now. In Italy, it's a little, Italy's a little bit more complex, but there, there are, there is a cultural movement and an awareness also of, uh, encroaching ideas in pre-existing Christian culture, let's say. Mm -hmm. So there is this, there's awareness that these, that there are ideas that are foreign to our history, that are foreign to our civilization that have encroached and come in, you know, through the schools, through different, different, different media. You know, and people are aware on the street. People are aware that that that, that things are changing. They're not really happy about it necessarily. So, um, so there's a culture war going on. Well, and so say. if you have, you could said the culture is beginning to change, but the laws aren't. How how is like how are the different affiliates in Europe? Are they working more to try to combat things legally, or are they working more with with that culture to try to cultivate both and both and? Okay. So in Hungary, for instance, there's there's working with you know the government and work because the government there tends to be moving in that direction in our in pro life pro family direction in Belarus. You have this, so we work with you know our affiliates work with the governments and with the states but also with you know the schools and 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 uh the, the church and on a, and on grassroots levels so it's both end okay i remember one story that we got recently um from the mission field from uh hungary where they had the heartbeat law where the woman yeah. has to listen to the child's yeah. heartbeat and yes. i remember that there was a story about a child being saved because of that yeah which was really cool so yeah. that's like another like you can do like the pregnant pregnancy care centers on yeah. one side and then also work to change the laws on the yeah. other and they work together. They work together and you, you also have to provide the structures, institutional structures. I mean, I remember visiting some of these structures in Slovakia and Czech Republic. We have, you know, pregnancy, pregnancy care centers. There's also a lot of, um, in Ireland and in, in, in France, uh, there's a lot of act activism also in terms of stories the um witnesses witnesses of women that decided not to have an abortion and why and or those who have had an abortion the trauma that that has caused them or their husbands or their you know boyfriends or whatever um uh, there are a lot of testimonials let's say testimonials you know witnesses yeah. to on a cultural level we try to create awareness of that mm -hmm. yeah do you see a difference between the countries that used to be communist and the ones that weren't? Like, oh, is there a difference that's an in interesting. The, like, yeah. the life movement there? Yeah. It's interesting you brought that up. I remember speaking with uh, a priest uh, 
in an Eastern Bloc country, uh, telling me, he was a vicar general of the diocese, and he said to me, when we grew up in the schools, there was no God, but in, fa- in the family there was, uh, there was a rosary. There was, there was, our, there, we were taught the rosary, we were taught to pray. We were taught there was God in the family. And so they maintained the faith that way. If you think about the West instead, the Western European countries, Padre Pio would say, you've got that television, that television, that box of Satan, he called it. Because the culture, people, we were less aware of it. You know, it's like the frog in the tepid water analogy that you've got, we're less aware of the water growing hot from, from, from tepid to boiling and when it boils it's too late the frog can't jump out so that's sort of what's happening in the west in the west we were unaware the the you know we're all aware you know i was just talking about this the other day um on a, on a podcast of, or no it was a conference or something i gave a talk on gabriel kuby's the sexual revolution or you can also think of like jennifer morse's the sexual state you look at this you look at the frankfurt school you look at adorno for instance professor adorno columbia university and how you know the whole dismantling of the authority of the father or you know even michel foucault and uh, derrida jacques derrida the he talks about what's the expression uh there was an expression i should know it derrida. i studied him and i don't remember <laughs> well yeah jacques derrida, i mean it's all rel- it's all this uh, it's all in flux you know it's just languages relativism yeah it's relativism but there was a key expression that derrida used but he would use expressions like the tangible absence. There's always these contradictory expressions. I mean, it sounds so cool, like, you know, when you look look at that. But uh, Keith Wenschuttle had this book, uh, The Killing of History, and he emphasized, I think this, this is a book that was very interesting, what Keith Wenschuttle says. Uh, he says, if you, if you, if you kill the, the culture through literature, uh, as the whole Gramsci approach was in Italy, you, you kill the culture, you create a culture that's anti-cultural, that's contrary to the culture that's already there. And you kill it with the change of language and the fluctuation of language. You know, mm. The word gender itself, for instance, yeah. it's a word that was, uh, Judith Butler coined that word, gender. And gender implies that you get away from a binomial system, a binomial sexuality. There's something other than sex. There's some, like your biological yeah, that you're sex. Biolo- that's, that's yeah, there's something. A- uh, yeah, it's like, what, what was his name from University of Indiana? Kinsey. Kinsey talked about this, 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 uh, yeah, that, the, that you have this, what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, a continuum of sexuality. Mm-hmm. But you know, what's interesting about all this now, all of these theories, all of these thoughts, all this, uh, you know, Adorno's uh, anti-authoritarianism kills authority, you know, authority that helps algere, the other to grow, true authority. And so there's a yearning though in people, and I see this in your generation too, and that's what I love about your generation and working with your generation uh, in your 20s, I can say, <laughs> Uh, this Generation Z, no, it's called Zoomer Generation. I think yeah, it's called. Borderline. I'm, bo- I'm borderline. You're I don't borderline. want to be Gen Z. I You're want to not... be a millennial. I'm like right there in the middle. Yeah. Okay, okay, fine. We're revealing too much about your age. Um, <laughs> but um, no, but your generation seems to be like open to, you know, not 
so ideologically grounded, open to, okay, where is the truth, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Look, seeing uh, something's wrong and looking to try to figure out. Yeah, sense, see, like, what's going what, on? What's Something's going on not right, you know? Yeah. I mean, I remember the debates between Blondel and Gagou Lagrange on truth, you know? And what is truth in the end, you know? And people are like looking for that. And Blondel's idea was very much a there was much, uh, very much a continuum in his definition. And so you see that also it's sort of a breakdown of metaphysics. And well, once you have answers like that, once you have, you know, professors or trying to show this, you know, that this goes back, you know, that's what I was trying to show you in class. Like <laughs> I, that, I, I hope, yeah. It goes back, you know, it, there's an origin to this. And there's, there's a reason why this is named this and not that, you know, and there's a language matters. And language matters. Philosophy yeah. matters. Yeah. In fact, going back to Keith Winshuttle, he says exactly philosophy matters because if once you get into the critical theory, once you start changing literary critical theory, you should think, oh, doesn't, who knows about this? Well, and they, every, the people who are creating the arts know about this and are forming your thinking. You know, when you watch Netflix, when you watch, there's, it's programmed. There's a certain way of, there's a certain uh, teaching. Docere delectare, Quintilian would say, to teach and to delight. So that's what literature does. Mm-hmm. So once you start changing that, the literary theory and the way you read literature, that's going to affect the culture. And the way, and then if you affect the culture, you're going to affect the, the anthropology. You're going to affect mm-hmm. the way man is. So all of this is connected. And I think that's what's important, you know, when you read Gabriel Kuby, when you read Jennifer Morse, this is not a chance. This is not just happening per chance. This is happening with, there's, there's a will behind this. There's, there are people that want this to happen. Mm-hmm. And so we are in the middle of culture wars. This is, I mean, it's obvious that this is happening, I think. Well, and that's what's coming out and more I actually- and more interviewed Jennifer Morse on the podcast recently. Oh, wow. And um, well, that was one thing we were talking about was how um, in those philosophies, there's like these seeds at the beginning. We were talking about pedophilia in specific and how there was a seed for that during the sexual revolution. And even though the people coming up with those ideas weren't in favor of it, you, the logical like domino effect of that is going to lead to it in of the course, end. Ideas and it's that of- kind of, once you learn to think, like, that's why I like philosophy, because like once you start following those ideas, you can be like, OK, this is where we are. This is what they're saying. What's the logical conclusion down the road? Like you can't just accept always what they're saying in the moment because that might sound good. You have to be like, OK, what effect is this going to have? And look at it within the context of human people, like human nature and how people are going to respond to things. So like I guess I'm thinking of like contraception. That's a very easy foot in the door that people go with. They're like, oh, well, here's a hard case. Here's a reason you should have it. And it's like, well, as soon as you accept that, you open the door for abortion. You open the door for all of these other things going on. Or she was talking about redefining marriage. She was like, we redefined it when we talked, when we allowed for divorce and no fault divorce. So now they're redefining it for gay marriage, like marriage is the logical conclusion of what was going on here Mm -hmm. when we started Mm -hmm. allowing divorce. So I think that's one reason Mm -hmm. it's so important for people to understand those philosophies and have the intellectual Mm -hmm. background. So Yeah, there's some good books on this. Richard Weaver, Ideas of Consequences, also his Visions of Order, was a great professor from the University of Chicago in the 1950s, and he emphasizes this very much. Also, Paul Hazard from the University of Paris in the 1930s and 40s, he was talking about this in terms of the, the... 
what's happening in the Western mindsets. Another great author that needs to be read. I'm sorry, I'm giving you all these books, but <laughs> Alan Bloom, Alan Bloom, the, the Alan Bloom, 1987. He wrote a book. He was also from the University of Chicago, and uh, the book was the closing of the American mind. I think it's very important because that book also shows. It's a question of the mind. Essentially, it is a question of the ideas and how how our mind is being closed. And he goes through it. It's a wonderful book. I mean, I highly recommend it. But exactly what what you're saying, you know, the seeds are there, and the consequences will show. The the consequences of those seeds will show up one way. You know, there was there was uh, there was uh, the French uh, Bossuet. In the 17th century, Bossuet, he went, when he was about to die, he, th- he realized, he was terrorized because he saw what was going to happen a hundred years. He saw where all this was taking. Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you're thinking, when you're studying and you're looking at these things, you see where, the cons- you see where this is going to go. And, 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 he, and he trembled. And in fact, a hundred years later, it was the French Revolution. And he, he saw all of that. This is also really important to bring up because when you have a certain age to yourself, when you have a certain study, when you have a certain cultivation, when you've thought about it, when you're an adult, you see where things are going. Experience shows. And so we have our duty, I think, to transmit that. And that's what's trying, that's what is, that's part of the attempt of wanting to block the youth from that treasure, mm. from the treasure of the past and what great minds have to share with us, the really great minds, not the revolutionary minds, but minds that are looking to to maintain an order, to maintain an order. Minds like Russell Kirk or things like that. There's a lot of great authors out there. I can't encourage people enough, but then to read, to, to read texts. You don't have to read everything, but read good authors, a chapter here, a chapter there, emphasize, and you, you'll gain so much from it. You know, the, the, I like to say, even the St. Thomas Aquinas, I like to say, you know, when they say an apple a day keeps the doctor away, an article a day keeps the heresy away. You oh, know, I like, I like that. <laughs> I, I liked reading Aquinas, honestly. He was, he's very clear. And yeah. as succinct as you can be, it's very dense, but you know, he know everything he's saying has a, like a very clear purpose. Very and there's clear. a reason it's there. Very direct. So. Yeah. And then before we just wrap up today, do you yeah. have a favorite story or experience from your mission work? Anything favorite kind of personal? Story. Or like, yeah. This has been a very intellectual conversation, which is really interesting. I'm sorry. But like, yeah. Oh no, I mean, that's you. You're that's a professor. What, it sorry, happens yeah. and I enjoy philosophy, um, um, but just like. Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. Oh no, it's that's favorite fine. story. Hmm. There's a lot of stories that are connected to my work. Hmm. Did I? Maybe I've, we've been talking. Maybe you heard me say a story uh, that you could. Let me. Oh, I do. I have a story. Okay. <laughs> I do, but this comes from my work on the mission field. Uh, uh, this friend, we're not very good friends. We become very good friends. We were, we had the opportunity to go to the ASPEC, uh, the Asia Pacific Congress, mm-hmm. uh, with Dr. Lagaya. And, uh, every time I go there, something good happens. But this one time was in India. It was right before the lockdown. And there I met this, this lady from Kazakhstan. 
who was Protestant and had converted to Protestantism from Islam. And I don't know, we started chatting and she was really interested in the whole post-traumatic abortion syndrome, Mm -hmm. just full full of fire, that woman. And so she ended up in uh, Namibia with her husband because he's South African and German. Mm-hmm. And I've been to Namibia for the lockdown. So she calls me up and she wanted some information to share with some of her Protestant friends, mm-hmm. some of her Protestant ministers, wives and all. And I started sending her like encyclicals. And, <laughs> yeah, I got her in touch with Dr. Close. I just started sending a lot of information. Well, the next thing you know, she's getting, you know, these people involved in the teaching, the Catholic teaching. Mm-hmm. And just like a friend of mine from back from my years at the University of Chicago, I remember I had given this friend, I was giving out Contraception Why Not by mm-hmm. Janet Smith. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends, I remember back then, she said, I don't want this because if I take this, I'm going to become Catholic. <laughs> Well, that's what happens. So it's like, yeah. it's almost like there's a connection even there talking about. Well, this woman, she became Catholic. Wow. And her husband came back into the church. I didn't realize he had been Catholic. So she became very good Catholic. And then from that stemmed a program in Kazakhstan last summer. And, and I, I got to go and talk about pro life, Catholic pro life thinking with Protestant ministers in Kazakhstan who are very active in the pro-life mission there. More than Catholics are, actually. And so I'm like, talk to them. One of the things that that experience and other experiences opens us up to is we should be seeking, and this is really to to be truly ecumenical and truly interreligious, and to be truly human in a way. It's to be human, you know, it's to seek people that are seeking the truth in all these areas, mm-hmm. not to be ideological, but to be truly um, seekers of truth. Truth is adeguatio intellectum adrem, the adequation of the intellect to the thing. The ideology is the adequation of the thing to the intellect. Ideology is the opposite of truth. Ideology is trying to put, to make the idea, to force the idea, to try to force the reality to become what your idea is. So like taking your idea and forcing it on reality instead of learning more about reality. Exactly. And so when, so this is why I think we have to have an openness. This is the Catholic thing, I think. I think the Catholic faith teaches us this. Jesus teaches us this from the start. Jesus teaches us the openness to the truth and those seeking truth. Think of some episodes, for instance, in the scripture. Matthew 15, you've got, you've got this, the Samaritan woman. She comes up to Jesus and uh, she, this is an interesting episode because she comes up to Jesus because her daughter's possessed, mm-hmm. Matthew 15. And, and so she, the evil around her pushes her to seek the good, to seek the truth. And Jesus at first kind of like doesn't, you know, he sort of kind of keeps a distance because she's not Jewish. She kind of, but then she insists 
Jesus wants us to insist. He says, I'll take even the crumbs. The dog will even eat the crumbs. Mm -hmm. And when he sees this faith, then he does the miracle. Mm. And that's the same thing with, with, this, with, this, with uh, sorry, there was the Canaanite woman, the, the Canaanite woman, Matthew 15, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Is that the woman at the well? The woman at the well, where she comes to see Jesus. She comes to understand. First, Jesus is the Jew, and at the end, he's the Messiah. She has like eight mm. different titles. Very interesting. That's a beautiful episode, too. To come to know Jesus... And to, and that's the thing that we have to do. You know, I mean, we have to be, we have to follow his example. And it's not easy. Uh, it's not easy. Life is not easy. Um, but you have to be seekers of truth and seek those who seek truth. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, um, Luke chapter 11, I think it is with, or Matthew 11, or I think it's Luke 11 where Jesus says how you're supposed to evangelize, you know, mm -hmm. you go and if, and, and, it, and you don't bring anything and if they don't accept you, you're dust. But it's interesting. He, he emphasizes this, um, the sense of not, you know, not paying attention, being focused mm -hmm. on, on your mission. And the mission is the conversion conversion and the truth and the metanoia what is metanoia true conversion metanoia is to change the noose is to change the way you think mm -hmm. and so that's so while you're doing this you're also changing the way you're also being converted and we'll have to, we'll have to be open to this continual conversion i think and that, that's that's the beauty of it that's the beauty of mm -hmm. of the mission it's the beauty of the christian life of the catholic life yeah i hope this, this makes sense yeah it does but and like working with other pro-life people who yeah. are in different religions and like seeking the truth together and yeah. they'll convert eventually with those pamphlets. <laughs> yeah. This conversion. No, but it's, yeah, but it's yeah. personal. It's personal. It it's, about relationships. it's about relationships. It's, yeah. and it's wonderful. I think it's, uh, that's it, yeah. 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 It's you. You can't quite quantify it on a, uh, mathematically, but it's there, you know? Well, thank yeah. you so much for being on the podcast today, Father. It's great to have you. Likewise. Great to have you on. Thank, thank you very much. And to all of our listeners, please like, follow, and subscribe, um, whether you're listening on YouTube, Rumble, or any of our audio platforms, and keep on living the culture of life. God bless. <laughs>